for a lot of us, lots of moving pieces, but you're here, you're here, and I'm here, and the Lord is here. So let's take a deep breath, like a deep breath, and remember why you are here. Remember who you are here for. Remember who you've come to worship. <clears throat> so we are continuing our series in baptism today that tells the story of the gospel. Uh, and uh, as we get started, you know, all of these things that we're talking about and we do, I hope you can see the heart that I have behind all of this. You see, our audience is not so much each other. It does involve each other. But uh, what we are doing, it is to glorify the Lord among us. And we know that our God sees us, and he sees our lives. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So as we continue to talk about baptism, last week we talked about the heart or the motives of baptism. And I shared a story of a friend, a Lutheran friend who was baptized by immersion for the forgiveness of her sins. She just wanted to choose that for herself. She was a Lutheran baptized by a Methodist in response to the teachings of an Anglican and a Catholic. And it was just, you know, it was just her heart became one big yes for Jesus Christ. Her heart was just ready to follow Jesus into the water, and that's the heart that we need to bring to this discussion. Um, we just want the scriptures to speak. We want the Holy Spirit to guide any of our decisions and the direction we go in any decision we make in our life so that our hearts become one big yes for Jesus. And so today as we talk more about baptism, I wanted to speak about the symbolism or the imagery associated with this practice. Baptism tells a story. It tells a story of the gospel. And uh, how would you summarize the gospel? The gospel is the good news of uh, that God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, to save us, Jesus became one of us. Jesus taught us how to live. And then what happens next? What else did Jesus do for us? He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day, according to the scriptures, and appeared to many witnesses. Then he ascended into heaven and sent his spirit. Jesus has been enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead, but he first invites everyone into his kingdom 
where by this gospel of grace we are forgiven, made blameless, and empowered for a new life in this world, a new life that begins now and continues into eternity. We respond to the gospel by faith, uh, which means we trust and follow Jesus as his disciples in all things. And that's where this discussion can get very easy for us. We just want to follow Christ and his example. And uh, we respond in faith. And when we're just, that is the motive, just being together with Jesus and following him. It helps clarify things for us. Uh, We respond to the gospel and express our decision to place faith in Jesus through things like repentance, confession, and baptism. And God meets us at the point of our faith by giving us forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as you read the biblical text on baptism, you, you, you cannot miss that the Holy Spirit is associated with, with what's going on. This is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and this is God's side of things. This is what God does in baptism, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't earn that. We don't deserve that. That is the grace of God. We just come, and in faith we receive and trust that he is going to meet us in the point of our greatest need and give us everything that we need to be his disciples in this world. So, you know, this is not exhaustive, but it gets to the maybe the core of what you would say the gospel is. So in some ways, baptism at its best tells the story of the gospel. So as we begin this morning, one of the ways that it, it shows similarities to, uh, one thing that it sim- shows similarities to is the covenant of marriage. Um, and you can take these analogies too far, of course, but baptism is like a marriage. Uh, it is the way, a baptism and a marriage, they're a way of make, marking and recognizing that we've entered into a new relationship. They are uh, recognizing that things have changed, and now we are bound to certain things, and we are looking at this uh, new beginning of the end of something else and the beginning of something new. So in that sense, our baptism is like our promise to God, our promise to uh, follow Jesus. Uh, It is the vow and commitment that we make to the Lord, to follow him faithfully. So the normal point of salvation for Christians in the early church was, it was baptism, uh, and it's not the ritual itself or the water that saves a person, but the commitment that one makes to Jesus as Lord. Salvation is about a relationship. Baptism in Christianity, just as a wedding and marriage, is simply a way that we enter into and mark that new relationship. And there's power in the marking of that relationship. In this way, baptism is like, uh, you can think of it almost in terms of a disciple's wedding ceremony. Uh, We went to a wedding on Saturday. A wedding ceremony makes marriage concrete. Uh, So does repentance, confession, and baptism. It seals and holistically solidifies our relationship with Christ uh, and our claiming everything that he wants to offer to us. You know, too often I think people just accept Christ uh, 
by simply giving a mental assent or expressing some, um, some kind of superficial gesture sometimes. You know, the Lord sees the heart. He knows what's going on. Uh, I, I understand that Jesus died for uh, my sins on the cross, and uh, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I've never marked that belief, and I've never actually been baptized. Um, sometimes when we just, yes, when we just say the simple yes to something, uh, that commitment, it doesn't have the depth that that making a covenant does. Um, it's not solidified in the same way. That relationship's not solidified in the same way as uh, 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 the covenants and promises when they are made. When I just say, so here's a, maybe a, a crude way to put it. A guy can shack up with someone without making any promises or commitment to that other person. How long does that typically last? Sometimes a long time. Uh, until things get tough. Until things aren't as fun anymore. Until something better comes along. If my commitment to Jesus is just a private mental commitment, a little whispered prayer or something like that, that kind of commitment, it tends to be a lot easier to brush aside. But when you make a conscious decision to repent, verbally confess faith in Jesus, and surrender your will to take on Jesus Christ in baptism, that commitment is more all-encompassing and final than this is, yeah, I like the guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's my Lord. There are witnesses to call us back to and remember the promises we have made. There is a record. We go on record as choosing Jesus Christ as our Lord. It's our line in the sand moment. It's our saying, this is what my life is about and this is what I commit myself to. Jesus has made me an offer. Jesus has made a love proposal to me. And baptism is the act of faith through which I receive Jesus' offer to me. I go on record in front of witnesses accepting Jesus' offer. I make vows in that act to die to some things and to live for no other things now. Accepting God's forgiveness and acting on our faith in Jesus are the reasons why we would commit to the ceremony. So baptism, there's some similarities to uh, our, a marriage or a wedding. Baptism also can be talked about in terms of a birth. And so John chapter 3 talks a whole lot about that. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's 
All right, this, this story is so interesting. You just can't make this stuff up. It's so wonderful. Why would he come to Jesus at night? He, I think about this all the time, ways that, ways that I do this. I get so worried and wrapped up by what other people are saying or doing or thinking get caught in the comparison trap. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. And Nicodemus can't understand that or see that. He's embarrassed, but he's drawn to and wants to know more about. And uh, he immediately kind of steps in it right away because he says, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing. It's, it almost it comes across like a way that he's trying to ingratiate himself to Jesus and recognize, yeah, there's something special there. But one of the oldest stories of the Bible is that there are people who are not of God who are able to perform signs and wonders. You see, what, what, what Nicodemus is claiming here is that he can see and recognize the work of God. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So, Nicodemus claims to be able to see the work of God. And Jesus says, the ones who can see the kingdom are the ones who have been born again. And then the, the, the second way that Nicodemus steps, well, maybe the third way, if you count his coming at night and what that kind of communicated, and Jesus doesn't seem to fault him for that at all. But this is the third way, this teacher, this leader, religious leader, highly trained professional, uh, steps in a third time. How can someone be born when they are old? So Jesus is first tells him, uh, the signs themselves do not authenticate or give a person the ability to tell what the work of God is. Um, and then the second th th thing that he steps in now is poor Nicodemus. He's making a mess of it because he reveals that he's only thinking in terms of biological birth. He is completely confused by what Jesus is talking about, this birth from above. Um, Jesus answered truly I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit the flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it is where it comes from or where it is going so it will be with everyone born of the Spirit. 
So Nicodemus is confused because he thinks Jesus is referring to a person's original biological birth, but Jesus is referring to an additional birth, a spiritual birth. Baptism is the way that we are born again, and it's so many times in the scripture, baptism is associated with the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's coming. Uh, It is this additional birth associated with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's birth in us is something new that happens. The person who is born of the Spirit is the person who is able to recognize the presence and activity of the kingdom of God in this world. Baptism, in this sense, is the way of entering into a new relationship. And this new relationship with God, it is a new life, a new birth, the beginning of something new. So unpack that, John chapter 3, and look over that some more. Because uh, just the imagery is beautiful there. So there are elements of our baptism that kind of, there are similarities to marriage. Elements of baptism that it is a new kind of birth and being born into a new kind of life. Now let's talk about uh, another way that we can see baptism. That another way that baptism tells a story. Baptism as a death and a resurrection. Baptism is the ending of something and the beginning of something new, just to put it uh, in more colloquial uh, language. And so the primary verse that we're going to look at, the verses are in Romans chapter 6, and I'd encourage you to read through this more on your own. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 are crucial, but I'm going to read this whole section so you can get an idea of this, this beautiful imagery that Paul is bringing forward in Romans. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. There's so much richness in those words. So what's Paul talking about in Romans 6? He's recalling the memory of these disciples' baptism. He's recalling that time where they, uh, where they made this special commitment. He's reminding them of the story of their baptism. And so he describes it as a drama that happens in three acts. Not the book of Acts, but like acts like a play. Act number one is a death. There is a death that's happening in baptism. When a person goes into the water, they pledge to identify themselves with Christ's death. We take up our cross, and that cross cuts off an old life, and there is a death that happens. Act number two is a burial that takes place. Baptism is a burial. In this burial in water, a person reenacts the burial of Christ, who is put into a tomb in the earth. Act number three is resurrection. A person coming out from under the water, from underneath the water, is a person being raised to live a new kind of life. I reference all those verses. This is the imagery that Paul is sharing in Romans chapter 6. So when a person is baptized, they are reenacting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is a way that we tell that story. Uh, If this helps, this is more of a pictorial way to look at it. Jesus, he lived... They crucified him on the cross. He died. He was buried and put in a tomb. And then he was raised from the dead. As a Christian, I lived a life apart from God, an old life. But the cross came and cut that off. And then I chose to identify with Jesus in his death I was buried with Christ and entered a tomb going under underwater. And then I'm raised to live a new life, a life not just of Calvin's choosing. But the life of Jesus himself. And it's no longer just me calling the shots living selfish and for myself. I, I am living for Jesus Christ, a resurrection life, even now. So full immersion in water tells the story of death, burial, and resurrection in a way that uh, pouring and sprinkling never can because the, the, the meaning is tied to the method of baptism. 
Full immersion in water is a concrete expression of Christian conversion. In this practice, a person enters into death, they are buried, and they are resurrected together with Jesus. Uh, Have you died to yourself to live a new life for Christ? If you have, are you living up to that commitment? When did you publicly go on record of dying to yourself and living for Jesus? Do you remember your baptism? Well, I don't, I don't remember my baptism, but my parents did it for me, and I agree with their decision. When it comes to something as important as giving up and surrendering your life, don't you think that it matters that you are the one to make that decision yourself? I thought it was important. You know, I was baptized twice. Uh, my family heritage and my history is in uh, a Reformed church, Dutch Reformed, and beautiful uh, traditions there. It was rich with meaning for our family, but I have no memory of it. My second baptism... I chose for myself, and it was important for me to make that choice. I chose to enter into a death, a burial, and a resurrection with Jesus Christ. I chose to die to myself, to have my sins washed away, and to be raised to live a new life. I chose that. I have that in my memory. I mark that decision, and I come back to that decision, and that commitment gives strength to my moments now. So baptism tells a story of what Jesus has done for me. His death, his burial, his resurrection are in the symbolism of what we do in baptism. Baptism tells a story for me too. It is the story of a commitment that I made. I think I was 13 years old. It was vacation Bible school. I was up in the church in Olympia, Washington, and my dad baptized me into Christ. And no, I had no idea all of the things I had yet to learn, all of the hard things that were going to come, all of the beauty and the glory that were going to come in a life committed to Christ. I didn't know it all. I, I, but I wanted to choose Jesus. And even as a young man, I made a choice and that decision in my mind, I visit that. There's not a question anymore. Is Calvin going to live for himself or for Jesus Christ? That decision was marked in a covenant years ago. The most important decision of my life. And now I don't question. Because I still choose things my way a lot of times. And I don't always live up to it, but that commitment is my story. That promise, that covenant,
covenant. It is my story. And baptism also tells the story of my future hope. Jesus Christ, the firstborn raised from among the dead, the first to receive this new spiritual body, glorious. I have the hope of resurrection in the power of Jesus Christ. In that sense, my baptism in my past, it informs my present moment, but it is also my future hope. Does that make sense? And that future hope gives me joy in my present reality because I am trusting the Lord in faith. And I know the character of Jesus Christ. And I trust that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day to come. You know, every human being is given a certain allotment of time. Some of us get a big chunk of time. Some people, it's just a short little allotment. Uh, When we grow up, when we get old enough, we come to a point where we get to choose what we do with our time. We have less choices sometimes, you know. Uh, With mom and dad... I'm in their home. There were certain things that I had to just put up with or live with. I didn't get to make all those choices. But as you get older, you begin to get to make those choices for yourself. And every human being who lives long enough is going to have this. You get to decide how you're going to live your life. You get to decide what you're going to do with your time. You get to decide the kind of person you're going to be. You get to choose the commitments that you make. What are you going to commit yourself to? You're going to just, you get to decide what you think is important. And people make all kinds of decisions of how they're going to use their little bit of time in this world. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. That's a choice that people make. of all the millions of life choices there are to make and how we are going to spend our life, we are the people who have chosen Jesus Christ. We are the people who have made a commitment to Jesus through baptism. We enter into fellowship with all of those others who have made the choice of Jesus Christ as Lord above all. Our public declaration and our confession of Jesus as our Lord by our own free choice, a decision that I made, not my parents, not my family, not my church, not because Calvin said so, but me, myself, I made that decision. This is a choice that binds me to Jesus Christ and it binds me to all of the others who have made that commitment in their life. That is how someone becomes a part of the body of Christ, biblically speaking. It's through the decision to be born again in baptism. Accepting the grace of God in Jesus through baptism 
is something that we get to share in common. It gives strength to us as a community and reminds us of a responsibility we have to each other and to the Lord our God. Baptism also has imagery of washing or cleansing or purification, if you will. In baptism, the washing with physical water signifies the washing away of sins. And so there is both a a physical and a spiritual reality that is taking place in baptism. Uh, One of the most uh, dramatic verses illustrating this is in the conversion of of Saul, who becomes Paul. This is Ananias. This is what he says to to, to Paul. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Wash your sins away. This is the way, through faith, that we take hold of that grace of God and the power of Jesus' blood to wash our sins away. Another verse that talks about this is in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is telling this whole big story about Noah. Do you know the story of Noah's ark? Noah was a godly man. He builds an ark. What's an ark? It's a big ship. Made out of what? Wood. And Peter is telling this story of Noah as an analogy or a symbol or picture of what Christian baptism is like. So Noah is a godly man, one of only a few people, eight in all, that God saved in the time of the flood where the earth is destroyed with water. Peter said Noah was saved through the waters of the flood, which serves as a foreshadowing of the story of baptism. The water Noah came through separated him from those who were lost, all the countless people who were drowned in the chaotic flood waters all those who were alienated from God. In a similar way, our baptism is like passing through floodwaters where some will be saved and others will be destroyed. Noah passed through the waters of chaos in a wooden ark. We pass through the waters of chaos through a wooden cross. Baptism now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into, the, into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What is the power behind baptism? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection power.
So this passage shows, I think, something of the real focus of baptism. It's not found in the act itself. The act is necessary. But in the appeal to the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ. It's, the what, it's what God does for us when we, in faith, do baptism. Baptism, according to Peter, points to the risen Lord with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The water of baptism or the act of baptism, it does not earn anything for it. It is simply the God-ordained method of appealing by faith to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Baptism, Peter teaches, is a pledge of a good conscience based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, baptism is not a work, but an expression of our faith, the kind of faith that can save a person. It is what we are taught, I believe, in the Word of God. All of this rich imagery, all of the ways baptism tells a story. Um, Jonathan, you can come up. What are the ways that baptism tells a story? It's like a marriage in some ways. It's like what? John chapter 3. A birth. Being born into a new kind of life. Baptism tells a story. It tells the story of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It tells the story of my death to myself, my burial in water, and my birth again, my resurrection into a new life that I live committed to Jesus Christ. It is also the story of a washing and a cleansing, not the removal of dirt from my body like I'm scrubbing up. You know, I've used some nasty water, but because of the power of God, they, people have been baptized into Christ in nasty water to be cleaner than they've ever been before. You don't have it so bad here. This is even temperature regulated a little bit. There's no leeches that are going to stick to you. You know, there might be a, fly, a dead fly or two on the surface that you push away. We got it pretty easy. But that baptism, that entering into the grave with Jesus, that washing... It purifies. It helps us deal with our sin problem. So the story of baptism, you know, there's all of this beauty tied into it. And uh, that beauty can challenge us. It can speak to us. It is our line in the sand moment where we choose to covenant, make a covenant relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope, I hope that in our discussion and our thinking about this, that that beauty and our desire for the Lord and to just be simply led by the Holy Spirit, that that is what leads in in all of this. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, We always offer an invitation. If you want to put the Lord on in baptism, um, if you need the prayers of this church, 
If there's some way that we can serve you, I'll be standing up front here, and you can come and talk to me about that while we go ahead and stand and sing our invitation song together.